Our scripture today will be Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. This is the word of God. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And those who, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the, the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. The grass withered, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. All right. Thanks, Michael. Uh, thanks, Colton, for that prayer. Um, so there's uh, this one hospital website, and it lists three things that a person can do to stay healthy. There's these three things. Eat right, exercise, and drink water. Not that crazy, is it? <laughs> so sounds pretty simple, but we all form habits that we, we don't quite do this. Like, I know you should eat right. Let me tell you, my dinner's the last three nights, and I should preface this, Missy's out of town, Missy and Tinsley. So um, Friday night, uh, pizza, and I got enough pizza that I can have it Saturday night, and then uh, since I ate bad the last two nights, I made up for it last night with a hot dog. So uh, anyway, I'm not sure if the children ate or not. It was just, no, they were out of town, so that's, that's why it all happened that way. But anyway, the idea is that, you know, we, we know how to be healthy, eat right, exercise, drink water, these kinds of things. This isn't anything new. There's no, you know, this isn't some program that somebody just came up with. It's, it's pretty normal. But eating right usually takes a measure of planning uh, and self-control. There's other things that are, that are maybe more fun to eat. Uh, it's hard to find time to exercise. It usually, for most of us, we don't really have this little window uh, to, to work out or to exercise. And then even something as, as easy as drinking water can be tough, too, because maybe we have coffee in the morning, soft drinks for lunch or dinner or tea, um, and we might not have water in between. So we, we, most of us probably don't drink the amount of water that we should. And again, that takes a little bit of effort and, and self-control. And so the, the three things that we should do, they're not that complicated. They're, they're really pretty simple, but it's amazing how much it'll pay off if we do it. But it can still be hard, at least just to start. And, and once you start and you make a habit of it, then it becomes a lot easier. Like it's not even that big of a deal if you just get in the habit of eating right and exercising and all that stuff. Um, but anyway, you, have the, you guys have probably seen these advertisements uh, about kind of quicker ways to do this, shortcuts or pills or whatever, where you can kind of uh, get on this program and see the results really fast. You know, some of these are more legitimate than others, but there's just a sense whenever we see this quick fix, this shortcut that's with spectacular results, I mean, unless it kind of has these basics of eat right, exercise, drink water, I mean, we should probably be a little bit suspicious of it. Uh, and, and I don't think it's a whole lot different uh, to be a healthy, mature Christian or to be a healthy and mature church, I think it happens by just doing simple things well and consistently over time. I think that the most mature Christians and the most healthy, healthy churches didn't get there by doing something spectacular. You know, it wasn't some event. And, and, and a lot of us, we could say, man, this book I read was really big and really important. But, but there's no one book that just does the trick. You know, there's no one worship service that really uh, alters everything and that can make someone a mature Christian or, or a church healthy. It's just doing these simple things 
well. And, and the best churches aren't, aren't the, the biggest churches. And, and there's no merit in being a small church either. The, the best churches are the ones that just do the simple things well, and they do them consistently, being faithful to do what the scriptures call them to do. Now, in our text today, uh, uh, we see Luke, he's the author of Acts. We see Luke highlight three things about the early church. You could, you could probably stretch this out into more, but I just want to focus on three things that, that Luke highlights <clears throat> that I think are very important for, for them and for us to consider now. But if you were to ask Luke, if you were to say, Luke, how would you describe the early church, the earliest of church, this is what we see in Acts 2, it's the earliest of church. How would you describe that? I think from looking at the text, he would say, well, it was three things. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching, they were devoted to the fellowship, and they were devoted to prayers. And so those are the three things, kind of unremarkable things, but I think if we do these things well, we will be healthy and mature. So let's consider each of these together. So number one, the apostles' teaching. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. In verse 42, we, we see they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. And it's interesting that Luke didn't just say they were devoted to the Scriptures. You know, he, he could have said they were devoted to Bible study. And I've probably talked about this verse before, and I've referenced they were devoted to the Scripture, to the Bibles, or to, to the Bible. And, and we wouldn't be wrong to equate the apostles' teaching with Scriptures, but there's something there that we need to unpack that would, I think we might misunderstand or not understand this completely. So for the early church here, they would have been mostly Jewish. The scriptures would have been the Old Testament. So, so for them, the, the Bible, the scriptures, that was the Old Testament. And then the second thing, the new thing, was the apostles' take on the Old Testament. And that is what they were devoting themselves to. Everything for the Jewish people, everything they knew about their religion had been turned upside down. The, the way they relate to God, the way they relate to others, to outsiders, even the laws and rules that they've been keeping all of their life, those were being changed. Some laws were gone, uh, some were not, some were changed. And so the lens through which they viewed the scriptures had changed. And they went from looking at the scriptures the way Moses would have looked at the scriptures with the old covenant to looking through this new lens of the new covenant, which gave them a new view, a new vision for what the scriptures were teaching. And the apostles had spent time with Jesus. They spent three years in the Jesus Theological Seminary, and they all got master's degrees in the new covenant, this thing that the Old Testament was pointing towards. And so they were teaching the people how to understand the scriptures in light of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And the way to make the sense of the scriptures, the Old Testament, was not primarily by keeping the laws and the rituals, but was by understanding the whole thing as pointing to Jesus. And that was the new reference point. The way you understand the Old Testament was by pointing it, was by understanding it in light of Jesus. And so Luke explained this in his gospel, in Luke's gospel, he, he quoted Jesus saying something to this effect. He said this in Luke 24. He said, these, Jesus speaking, said, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was with you, that everything written about me, Jesus said, everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. So Jesus was saying the Old Testament is about me, and I'm the fulfillment of everything that, that was pointing towards. And the idea of the scriptures pointing to Jesus was a new idea to them. Even the best of Bible scholars in their day did not understand it. They missed this. And, and we see this in John chapter 5, 39, where Jesus says to the Pharisees, he says, you search the scriptures 
because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. And so when we look at the, the early church studying the apostles' teaching, you, you can almost stamp the, the more trendy phrase that, that they were studying a gospel-centered view of the Bible. Like, like the, the, the trendy way to say gospel-centered in the, in the first century was the apostles' teaching. Because it was this new lens, this new take on the scripture that was focused on the work of Christ. And so the, the, the people Jesus was talking to knew the scriptures up, down, left, and right, but they did not understand the scriptures as pointing to Jesus and the gospel. And so if you do not have a Christ-centered new covenant view of the scriptures, your view of the Bible will be off you will make the Bible primarily about you. You'll be the centerpiece that everything else is revolving around, what you should do or not do, and you'll find these little inspirational quotes to kind of hang on. But the only way to understand the Bible rightly is to have a Christ-centered view of the Bible, and the more you understand it isn't about you, the more you're going to understand where you fit in that story. So what does it look like for us to be devoted to the apostles' teaching. Now, I want to be careful about this because I don't want to add any man-made, Kevin-made laws of what everybody should do, Um, but I I do want to share some some principles to consider. One, the scriptures command us to not neglect the habit of meeting together, Hebrews 10. And when we meet together, we are to be teaching, the, the scriptures are to be taught. Therefore, you should be devoted at minimum to our Sunday gatherings. That is not to say you you must not ever miss, but what we see in Hebrews 10 is that the habit should be that you are there. You would not neglect the habit of uh, missing. And so it would be uh, your regular course to be gathered with the saints on Sunday to hear the scriptures taught. Now, outside of that, the apostles did not command a whole lot of personal study that we might think about. Like, for example, um, th- there's nowhere in the New Testament where you're going to see, hey, in the morning you need to have what's known as a quiet time, or you need to read the Bible every morning, or you're not going to see, see anything that says you should read through the Bible every year. Look, I think it's awesome if you read the Bible every morning and read through the Bible every year, but I'm just saying the Bible doesn't command that explicitly. But here's what, again, let's operate less out of the application and more of the principle that the application should come from. But in Colossians 3.16, it does say that the word of Christ should dwell in you richly. So the the question to consider is, how might I do that? How might the word of God, a word of Christ, dwell in me richly? And so that might lead you to come to the conclusion, I'm going to read my Bible every morning or in the evening, or I'm going to listen to sermons and podcasts on the scriptures. I'm going to want the the scriptures to to saturate my mind and, and my heart. So anyway, a big takeaway here for us to be devoted to, devoted means set aside, for us to be devoted to the apostles' teaching means that we should make uh, the Sunday gathering a priority. We shouldn't miss it casually. We should never make a habit of missing. Uh, And we should find a way to saturate ourselves with the Word of God. And that might look different for different people. Some people might read every morning. Some people might read through the Bible every year. All kinds of things people can do. And we want to be loose on the specific application, but strong on the principle of let the Word of, word of Christ dwell in you richly. And let me just say that again with more authority, because I'm taking this from the Scriptures. For you all, each one of you, you are to let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. That is the command. The application of that command is going to be different among all of us. Number two, 
the fellowship. Uh, we see a few things mentioned here about fellowship in our passage in verse 42. They were devoted to the fellowship and the breaking of bread. Uh, some will argue that the breaking of bread was, was more than just a meal, uh, that it was actually them taking the Lord's Supper together. Uh, maybe so, but, but however you interpret that, at minimum, they were sharing meals together. So the, the church Luke is writing about is a close-knit group. They are together often, and they have each other's back. They know each other really well. In verse 44 and 45, we read this, And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings, distributing to the, the proceeds to all as, as any had need. Now, one thing kind of interesting about Acts 2 is uh, some proponents of communism and socialism uh, take Acts 2 as a reference point. Uh, and they say this gives a biblical justification for the idea of, of uh, socialism, communism, and they are wrong uh, to, to do that. No surprise, y'all hear me say that. But they are wrong to use this verse to justify socialism. And here's why. This sharing of possessions, this having all things in common, was 100% voluntary. No one was making them do it. It was out of the, the generosity of their hearts that they were doing that. And, and if the government mandates this kind of, of sharing, then it cancels out the, the oneness and generosity that was so attractive to all the people who were seeing what the early church was doing. But there is a sense where the church family looking after each other will look after each other in such a way that, I could, that it could actually look like socialism. And again, I'm, not, I'm not promoting socialism. What, I, what I'm saying here is that there is such a oneness to this group where we say that they didn't have anything, they didn't consider anything their own, that whatever, whatever was mine is yours, whatever you need of mine, what, there was this oneness looking after one another that they cared deeply about each other. And uh, I hope you don't mind me quoting Ronald Reagan two weeks in a row. I quoted him last week, I think. Uh, but he said this about socialism. He says, socialism only works in two places, heaven where they don't need it and hell where they already have it. And so the, the church at its best is a window into what heaven looks like. And so, so, so we are a heaven on earth community. And in that sense, there shouldn't be this hard line draws between what's mine and yours and this big debate over private property and you can't have my stuff and I can't have your stuff. We, we should see ourselves as one like a family and more than willing and happy to share with anyone who is, need, who is in need. And, and let me just say this, especially, and you guys know this is part of this, this email thing we have, which there's a strategy to start in this little email group we have. It's the sweetest. You should be on the email thing just to see how sweet it is. Uh, just a lot of sharing, helping out. Uh, I mean, there, you know, really, I don't know of a whole lot of needs that go unmet at, at Redeemer Church. I mean, I, I, I feel certainly taken care of. When things have come up with us, it seems like there's a small, whenever, whenever someone has a need, it seems like there is a small army that goes to work and is so happy to do it. And, and look, I think that's the spirit of God working in us. And it's a sweet, sweet thing. In Acts 4, 32, we read this. Uh, now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and of one soul. And no one, no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. So, so being a part of a healthy Christian, so, being part, so part of being a healthy Christian and part of being a healthy church is having a deep sense of community, of oneness, and even of family with, with one another. 
And we should take care of each other the way that a family would take care of each other. Now, in saying this, I want to add two quick uh, qualifications. Um, one, in Galatians 6, 2, Paul tells the Galatians to bear one another's burdens. But then in uh, verse 5, Galatians 6, 5, he says that each should bear their own load. So, so the church is not tasked with carrying other members' load. The task is to carry others' burdens. So th- there's a distinction between that. And then Paul wrote the Thessalonians. He said, if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. Now, the key word there is unwilling, not willing to. So this isn't just unemployment. This is, this is an unwillingness to work. So if, if those things are happening, then it's going to be a, a different. Then it's in, enabling sin. But, but let me shift back to this idea of the sweetness of being one in one family. If you're not involved with the church enough to where it feels like family, then you're probably doing it wrong. And it's, and it's probably your fault. And th- that sounds harsh, but, but here's what I want to say. If, if you join the church, you, you plug into a small group, you're at the Wednesday night gatherings, you're at the things that we're doing, then Redeemer Church will begin to feel less like an event that happens on Sundays and more like a family. And, and that's what church should feel like. It should feel more like a family. You should not expect this church or any church to feel like a family if you treat it like you do like the movies or a concert where you go in and you go out. Like I've rarely made new friends at the movies. I I go in and I go out. And so anyway, part of being a member of the church, part of being involved in the church is to do what's necessary to make it feel like a family. And I hope that everyone who has made Redeemer Church their home would find this, that it feels more like a family that's got their back than just an event they go to once a week. Now, moving on to my third point, the prayers. Uh, this is the part in, uh, in this Acts 2 section that is the most convicting to me. Uh, in Acts 6, Peter, who's also an elder or pastor, described his, uh, his focus as twofold, the ministry of the word, teaching, and prayer. So I confess that I'm in a season of repentance in regards to how I pray. Uh, the, the ministry of the word teaching comes, comes natural to me. Uh, I, I enjoy doing it. I have a, a plan and strategy for how I go about my study, uh, for how I go about teaching. I have plans of how I want to improve and, and to get better. But when it comes to prayer, it is nowhere near uh, the, the focus of my attention or, or I don't have any strategy or I'm, I'm, I've, I haven't had much strategy uh, when it comes to prayer. But I think by God's grace, that is changing. But look, when you read through the book of Acts, you will find that when the church is gathered together, they're often praying. And it should probably be like that for us. And look, I know one of the reasons that I struggle with prayer is cynicism. And I shared this uh, uh, several weeks ago when we were in 1 John chapter 5. But uh, here's, here's a story of kind of how my, my weird mind works. So this is years ago. I was in, uh, uh, in college on a summer mission project. And uh, if you know anything about mission projects, usually you have to raise money to get there. And so this girl, we were having a meeting, and this girl was, was, was sharing a uh, story, praising God about what he had done. And she said, here's what happened. So, uh, so I was with a group of girls, and we were praying, and we were praying specifically about my funding. It hadn't come in, and we were praying that it would come in. And so after the prayer time, I went to check the mail, and there was a check, and it covered all my, all my funding. And she said, I never had seen God answer a prayer so fast. 
And in my little 20-year-old mind, I'm like, oh, wait a second here. Like, you prayed, had to have been about 3 o'clock, and that check had come. This, this happened days before. So there's no way. This wasn't an answer to prayer. And he, I mean, that check, well, let's say you didn't pray. Do you think that check wasn't going to be there? And so, I mean, I, I didn't say this out loud. These are my thoughts that I do well to keep inside. But anyway, there was just this sense where, like, I, I, don't, think, I don't think prayer did that. I think that check would have been there anyway. And then, you know, I eventually came around this idea that God has to operate on, on a timeline, like a, like a linear timeline, like I do. Uh, so, so just because God might have moved before she prayed doesn't mean that that prayer had no meaning or, or power or is pointless. Like the prophet Isaiah said, God calls the end from the beginning. But I, the reason I, I share that is, is I think I have in me some skepticism, some cynicism in prayer that I need to repent of. And I'm wondering, I'm guessing I'm not probably the only one that has that problem. But like I said, in 1 John 5, uh, this idea of cynicism towards prayer, uh, that, that, that God answers prayer, is one of those things that we have to work through in some way. So for me, I have some theological knots that I can't quite untie. You know, why does God answer this prayer, not that prayer? This prayer seems good and biblical and right, and it seems like he didn't answer it. You know, so, so what's going on there? God's sovereign, God's in control. So I have some things that I have to, to kind of wrestle with. But the conclusion we came to in 1 John 5, when I was talking about this, is that there's all these little problems that I'm trying to work out. It doesn't cancel out the command of Scripture to pray. And I, I reviewed this when we went through 1 John, but it's all over the place. So we see the command to pray, and then we see the, 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 the people in the early church praying together. So I think... This is an area where we could and should improve as a church. Uh, I should also say that I know a lot of you are powerful in your prayers, uh, in your consistency, in your effectiveness. So, so don't let me assign my shortcomings on you. I know a lot of you are prayer warriors. And maybe, you know, Colton said it's been 10 years. Maybe it's those prayers that have kept us afloat. But, but here's another thing to consider. In Acts, the temple is sometimes referred to as the place of prayer. And you'll note Jesus referred to the temple as the house of prayer. The apostles were masters of the new covenant, explaining what everything was. You know what the new temple is, right? The, the new temple is the people of God. So wouldn't it make sense then that when the people of God are gathered, that, who are the temple of God, that there would be prayer, whether it's a formal gathering or informal gathering. And, and I mentioned earlier that Peter understood his role uh, as a pastor as twofold. It was the ministry of the word, it was teaching, and then it was prayer. So he was focused on teaching and prayer. And, and I spent a lot of time teaching, working on teaching, studying. Um, and I just want to say that I would like to spend more time in prayer for you and with you, and hear me say, this is a shortcoming of mine, and this is an area of failure, and there's God's grace. I'm, but, but I just want to confess, there is a lack in this area with me that I want to repent from, and I would love to pray with you more. And so please uh, call me, text me uh, how I can pray. Uh, it would be such an honor. Uh, it would never, ever be an inconvenience. I mean, there's two things I really should do. Teach the word and pray. And so um, uh, if you don't have my number, come get it. It's in the directory. I think those might have all been passed out. Uh, but uh, get my email, get my phone number. I really want to pray uh, for and, and with you guys. 
Uh, and feel free on, on Sundays after the service or before the service to come up uh, and we'll pray together just on the spot. I would like to do that. Wednesday nights, here or there, whatever. Uh, I, would, I would very much like to do that with you all. And, it's, and I think it's wrong that, I, that I've done it as little as I have. It's not that I've been prayerless. It's not that I never pray, but I definitely think it could and should be more. And even in, in Revelation 8, uh, John talks about the prayers of the saints being like incense going before God into heaven. And I, I think it would be sweet. We'll, we're always going to have the pastoral prayer uh, during our, our worship service. Uh, but it would be neat if there was just a lot of incense lighting, not literally, but you get the idea of just praying to God together whenever we're together, before the service, after the service, whenever, that we would just do it on the spot all together. Um, now, in, in closing, I want to consider what uh, might be missing uh, when any of these three are, are absent. Um, sometimes you might have a church that understands itself primarily as a teaching center. Uh, and in this kind of church, you're going to find good Bible studies, good teaching. But without fellowship, without that family feel, these teaching environments are just going to be a bit cold and disconnected. And without prayer, it's just not going to be the, the power behind the teaching. Now, another kind of church might be a church that understands itself primarily as a family. Hey, if we're going to do anything, we're going to make this like a family. And this can sometimes tend to be smaller churches where everybody knows everybody. But without good teaching and prayer, it becomes more of a social club. And the goal of the church community becomes the church community. And that is how churches can become inwardly focused and maybe even a little bit cult-like, even if they're not doing anything crazy like a cult, just a little bit cult-like. And they look down on other churches. They think they're the ones who figured out how church works. And they see larger churches as having sold out for growth because there's no way a big church can be as close as our small church. And just a side note, look, there are some really big churches that have structure for great community and fellowship, and, and, it, and it's so. They, they pull it off and it's sweet. And there are small churches that have a terrible sense of community. So again, the size of a church doesn't have a direct relationship on the fellowship and the sweetness that it can have. There's just challenges to both. Now, another is there might be a church that might be uh, focused on prayer to the neglect of teaching and fellowship. And I'll be honest, in my experience, I don't know a, a lot of these. Um, but I, I know of some that, that contend this way. And sometimes when this happens, there can be this almost an over-focus on God's going to do what he's going to do and we can, almost can't do it. It's almost a neglect of responsibility. And the, the clear things that God calls us to in the scriptures get neglected because we're, we're so focused on what, what God might do, we forget what God is calling us to do through the scriptures. And there can be a, a disconnect from the people and serving one another because we're wanting God to do something spectacular. We're wanting God to, uh, to, to reach the city, but maybe not sharing the gospel with someone we know. Uh, and so anyway, there can be a disconnect there. But in order for a church to be a healthy church, they need to be devoted to these three things. In order for Redeemer Church to be a healthy church, we need to be devoted to these three things. The apostles' teaching, not just the scriptures, but a Christ-centered understanding of the scriptures. We need to be committed, devoted to the fellowship, to seeing the church as a family. And we need to be devoted to the prayers, together calling on the name of the Lord continually. And as the early church did that, 
the Lord added to their number. And so may God help us to be devoted to these three things. And as we do that, may it please the Lord to add to our number those who are being saved. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you sent your son to die for your people, to die for the church. There are ways that you want us to to be together, uh, to organize ourselves, to grow. And would you help us to be a church that is devoted to the apostles' teaching, that we would understand the gospel, the new covenant, that we would see all of the Bible through the lens of what Jesus did in his life, death, and resurrection. Uh, And that not only would we have a good understanding of the apostles' teaching, but the fellowship would be sweet, that we would have one another's back, uh, that this church would feel like a family. And Father, would you help us to pray together, uh, to call on your name often together, um, whether we're gathered formally or informally. informally. And so Lord, I pray for your grace that you would help us to be healthy. Uh, that you would continue to sustain us, that we would do good works, that we would proclaim the excellencies of Christ. And Jesus, it's in your name that we pray. Amen.